Hey, this is Tim McCurdy, and welcome to Vinepair's Cocktail College, a weekly deep dive into classic cocktails that goes beyond the recipe with America's best bartenders. I'm just going to come out and say it, listener. Not only is the Irish coffee the gold standard when it comes to hot cocktails, I think it's arguably the best coffee cocktail going, too. Infinitely better than the espresso martini, in my opinion, and certainly the best spiked java I've ever had. Opinions aside, one thing that's not open to debate is that this is a bona fide cocktail and deserves to be treated like one. Helping us do so today is Gillian Vose, who's one of the modern bar individuals most associated with the Irish coffee. During Gillian's time at the Dead Rabbit, she helped tweak and evolve an already very good version of the drink the famous Irish pub was offering. In exciting news for 2023, Gillian will be placing an Irish coffee on the menu at her new bar, Hazel and Apple, which is co-founded with Sean Muldoon in Charleston, South Carolina. Gear up for landing, listener. We're approaching the Shannon International Airport to track the roots of the world-famous Irish coffee. It's the Cocktail College Podcast, and it's brought to you by the Vine Pair Podcast Network. And you can hear me okay. Okay. Let's do this. It's the Cocktail College podcast. It's a special one today, the Irish coffee. And we're joined by none other than Gillian Vose. Gillian, thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. I'm so, um, so excited to be talking Irish coffee with you on this uh, beautiful December morning. <laughs> <laughs> Perhaps in your neck of the woods, uh, it's raining cats and dogs over here in New York. But there we go. Yeah, well, you know, it's 70 degrees Fahrenheit and it is the sun is shining, but I'm still, you know, it is December. It's a time to really think about those, um, you know, those war- winter warmers, like especially to serve your guests and things. So mm. it is every day is a perfect day for an Irish coffee, I think, for those that have had a good one. A hundred percent couldn't agree more. And look, I think in terms of our listeners here when they saw the name of this cocktail come up in their in their podcast feed at whatever point, I'm sure a lot of them out there might have, might have been thinking, is Jillian coming on? Because, you know, look, you've quite literally written the book or been a part of a team that wrote the book on this cocktail. It's one that's really associated with a specific time in your career too. So looking forward to hearing all about that. Um, why don't we start off with the history of this drink though? Yes, absolutely. Um, so I think a lot of people know the general history of the Irish coffee for those that are into cocktails. Um, you know, Joe Sheridan created the cocktail at Foynes airport, um, which is now the Shannon airport, um, in, 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 uh, in Limerick. But, uh, you know, there is a lot more to that story and, you know, there's been so many books that have been written about, you know, the old fashioned, the martini, the Manhattan. And so, you know, just by what the, for the passion of, because of our passion for Irish whiskey, we thought there's nobody better than us to, to get this story out. Um, mm-hmm. But we had to really dive um, and look to friends like Dave Wandrich and Dale DeGroff and another historian um, in Ireland. Um, and uh, his name was Sean. I, 
please, I will get back to you on what that name is. Mm -hmm. um, but um, we have gone into the, the, the history of the Irish coffee in Ireland and Joe Sheridan's life, um, as well as um, Brendan O'Regan and um, Stan Delafane, who are like three very big names in the history and the promotion of Irish coffee. Um, so it's kind of cool that there is a lot more to their lives and to the story. And then when it comes to America, it's a whole other thing. So mm -hmm. basically, you know, we associate the, you know, the creation of the Irish coffee in the, um, like the 1940s. So like 1942-ish, but it didn't really become famous in America till um, like the mid-1950s. Um, I mean, coffee and spirits both kind of... Um, were staples in Europe in the 1600s, but separately, they weren't really seen as like being served together. Um, it was something that maybe you'd drink coffee in the day and then drink, you know, spirits at night. Um, and then, um, but it was that people were, when people were starting to drink punches, it was typically in the coffee shops. And that's kind of maybe where things kind of came together. Um, but it what really wasn't until the 1800s that the spirits and coffee came together. And the first, the first um, coffee cocktail was probably the Brulot made by made by the French, which was basically like kind of a cheap grape brandy, um, you know, like a, a really poor, made, poorly made brandy um, with sugary coffee. And then you'd like basically light it on fire to like get get rid of the fumes or like the the poorly made spirit mm -hmm. um and then um and that's in new you know, orleans that one or are coming over so from france yeah so they so basically the um in new orleans they basically were doing an iteration of a brulo called a cafe brulo um right and but this this is earlier than that um and then the 1860s you have the mazagran which is basically like a long Irish or long, sorry, not Irish. A, you have the Mazagran, which is a, was basically a long, like Collins, like coffee drink, um, with an O to B on the side and milk on the side. Ooh. Um, and, but then eventually, you know, the, the, it gets put into the actual highball and, um, it could be served hot or cold. Um, you know, and then you get into the late 19th century, and um, you're starting to see more iterations of like Calvados instead of, of cognac and things like that. Um, and yeah, then you start getting to see, then you start to see in the late 1800s, you're seeing punches and um, other types of drinks like like you were saying like in New Orleans a Cafe Brulo um, that was kind of more spirit forward. Um, and let's see, the Soldiers Camping Punch was um, by famous bartender Harry Johnson American bartender Harry Johnson um, created a a recipe for a soldier's camping punch and that's basically sugar soaked rum and brandy and it's set on fire and then extinguished extinguished with hot coffee and you know the list goes on and on you know with the kind of combination of, of booze and coffee um, but you know you're not really seeing much traction with like you say Britain or United States um, gaining any momentum with that. It was typically more like the European countries that were doing that. Mm -hmm. um, but then the popular, 
popularization of Irish coffee was like the, the 1940s and 1950s, um, which also gave way for different coffees like the Mexican coffee, Spanish coffee, um, you know, more modern takes on it that we see today. Um, but basically, you know, we have um, Joe Sheridan was a was a chef. Um, he, you know, lived in he was from Ireland and um, his dad passed away at an early age and his mom brought them into Dublin. Um, and they kind of lived in like close to Donegal um, and they moved to Dublin to the city. And he, you know, was at a very young age, very drawn to you know, the hospitality industry. Through the course of his career, he ended up at the Dolphin, which was a, a high-end restaurant. Um, and from there, he basically, um, when the the ad came up to hire people for the Foynes Airport, um, he was already had a reputation of being a, a very adventurous chef um, with a, a good name attached to him. So he did get the job there. And um, so he was, a, he did, so, Joe Sheridan had a great reputation in Ireland for being a chef, and um, the controller of the of Boynes Airport, which was going to be, you know, the entryway for guests coming into Ireland, like the elite, and um, it wasn't a normal passenger type um, airport. You know, you had a Ooh. lot of people that were wealthy. You had a lot of people that were, you know, this is after World War II when they were trying to rebuild. Um, things and to open up to the rest of the world, yeah. um, importing and exporting things like that. So um, Foynes was built more um, as a placeholder for what is now Shannon, because Shannon Airport was being built then across the across the way. Huh. Um, but this was kind of the beginning of opening up the west of Ireland um, to, to North America and to the south. So um, it, it does have a lot of, to, other than the Irish coffee, it, it is significant in the um global expansion. And um, it's a pretty cool story. But um, a well-known kind of restaurateur, if you will, um, Brendan O'Regan, um, he was, um, his family was known, um, I don't know if you've heard of the Old Grounds Hotel in Ennis in County Clare. Um, I actually no. got to stay there. Um, I grew up in hospitality. His family was a part of that. He went on to um, make a name for himself um, that way and became kind of the controller of the airport at Foynes and he hired Joe Sheridan and they have both kind of Joe came up with the idea, but Brendan kind of challenged him to make it. There's multiple stories of what the true one is like all stories in, in drink creation, there's <laughs> alcohol involved. So things, things can get a little muddy there. Sure. They um, sure can. Yeah. And I will note that Brendan O'Regan was also, um, he was the first person to introduce what is now a global um, duty-free. Um, so he was a very significant person in in the industry, in the, in the airport travel and um, hospitality industry, if you will. So there's more, you know, he did more than just uh, help facilitate the, the Irish coffee. Yeah, that's crazy. Um, yeah. And he was like, he was definitely a you know, a perfectionist and as was Joe Sheridan. So, uh, you know, Brendan, you, you have as the, the controller of the, the I keep wanting to say hotel, the airport, airport. Um, and Joe Sheridan, who was hired as a chef and he wasn't known necessarily for making cocktails, but he would tinker around with things and he was adventurous in flavor pairings and things like that. Um, but 
Brendan O'Regan's kind of vision was like always to make things look beautiful and perfect. And, you know, Joe kind of shared that same, um, same habits as that. So when he kind of whipped up the Irish coffee for, um, some say that there was, um, you know, a North American flight that was supposed to depart out of Shannon and are out of Foynes. And um, the conditions were not great. So they had to actually turn around and they were told ahead of time to make something that was warm and and to help the kind of shaken up uh, guests, you know, get back to um, a good state uh, before having to get back on the plane the next day. And that's kind of where the story stays, I guess people would say. Um, um, there's also, you know, some say that he created for an actual special occasion that was later on down the road. Um, so, you know, it could have been that it was on a whim put together and it, that's kind of the initial idea and it was fine tuned over time. Um, but again, things get a little muddy (laughs) (laughs) at that point. Um, it stands to reason though, that if you have a chef here that, you know, likes to tinker, likes to experiment. Uh, He's grown up in Ireland. Irish whiskey is, you know, I'm still abundant by this point. Uh, You would imagine that, yeah, maybe it was something he was playing around with, perhaps didn't just come up off the top of his head. Who knows? Yeah, I mean, at that point, like I was saying in the beginning, like coffee and cocktails were already being experimented with, but not in this way. Um, and it was something, you know, it is said that Joe was a bit of a drinker himself. Um, I don't think it affected him getting jobs or anything because he had a very prominent career and never, there was no like um, history of him getting like fired or, or bad blood between his uh, former employees. I think he was kind of like a celebrity chef of his time and nice. kind of just kept moving up drinks and things like that. So, um, but back to like him and Brendan O'Regan's like, um, you know, love of precision and, and, um, you know, things to look really great. Um, that's how kind of he found this, I, that what now is like the Irish coffee glass, but with like a, a handle on it. Uh, so it's an elegant st- stem glass, um, which is, you know, basically was to say, Hey chef, like, look at this, like, this is, we can make this look beautiful as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the things too, is that Joe was a heavy drinker, as I was saying, but um, he would have naturally put, you know, a swig of, of whiskey in his coffee in the morning to you know, get rid of his hangover. And that was definitely being done. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not like Irish coffee was invented. People were already doing that. But um, it was the addition of the sugar. And then really the cream was added because of the look of it. Um, because, I mean, let's be honest, like just a cup of coffee with booze in it is not like a pretty <laughs> thing. But that Tough sell. Yeah. And especially in Ireland where, you know, the quality of cream, especially at that point in time, yeah. was just so pure. And so and I always say like, you know, we maybe perfected the the Irish coffee in our opinion, like for the bar, uh, dead rabbit, but um, there's nothing better than when you're in Ireland and get, um, you know, Irish coffee from cream that was maybe pulled that morning. Oh my God. <laughs> you know, from the cat. That sounds um, incredible. You'd actually be surprised how many um, pubs in Ireland, they actually do milk the cows in the morning. um, And we've been able to enjoy one of those from time to time. Um, So, yeah, I mean, it was um, 
you know, because it wasn't your normal people going through the airport, you typically had a lot of journalists and things going through. Um, and one of them was, his name was um, Stan Delafane and um, they, he had had the, the drink and he wrote about it in the um, San Francisco Chronicle, like three different times, notably. Mm-hmm. Um, he became a big cheerleader for it as, as some others did too. Um, now at this time, you know, in San Francisco, the um, Buena Vista was a well-known bar. It wasn't in any way, shape or form an Irish bar, um, but it was kind of a, I, think, I believe it was owned by um, a German man um, and then later bought, taken over by one of his former employees. Um, so it never was an Irish bar ever. Um, and yeah, basically that was in like 1950 that basically, you know, you had Delaphine finding out about the coffee and then going back to San Francisco, writing about it, getting it published in the newspaper there and him going to the Buena Vista um, and introducing that to the, um, to the bartenders there. Um, and, you know, they finally were like, we're going to try and recreate this. Um, and, you know, they definitely had to tinker around with it because they couldn't get the, they couldn't get the cream to float. Um, so they had to kind of tinker around with it. And, um, which is a problem. I'm sure if anyone has tried to make these, but maybe doesn't have considerable experience, they will have come across to, uh, getting that cream to flow, especially in a hospitality setting when you're serving it for a guest, it's, it's a, it's a bit of a nerve wracking one, but I'm sure we'll get into that a little bit later. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. When we talk about how to, how to do that. Um, so, um, you know, being that, Delphine was a, a regular at the bar. Um, he began to, you know, get to know the bartenders and the owner. And, um, you know, he typically go in and he'd write at the Buena Vista um, uh, one day and, and not just bringing his uh, typewriter. He also bought, brought a bottle of Powers um, Irish whiskey and they like basically um, set out to recreate the Irish coffee and they, ba- they just couldn't, couldn't get that to float. But um, I think it was in like 1952 that they kind of made it work. Um, and, you know, there it kind of, it kind of took off and, you know, to this day, that's where we, in, um, like 1954, um, the, the, the San Francisco Chronicle, um, put out an advertisement for the Irish coffee, um, during the, uh, sports and boat show, um, and they basically said it would be served just like it was at the Shannon airport. Um, and you know, it's definitely, you know, he was kind of the marketeer for, mm-hmm. uh, Delapane was this marketeer, like this cheerleader for it. And then it just kind of became, you know, over time, that's now what the Buena Vista is known for, but it definitely did not open intending to be that. Yeah. If we can do a real quick, um, detour here as well. This isn't the only drink that he either inspires or makes famous worldwide, right? It's it's my understanding that he plays a large role in the uh, the Duke's Martini of Sal- Salvatore Calabrese as well. Um, you know what? That's quite possibly true. Um, I guess I'm not super versed in that particular situation, but... <laughs> <laughs> I, sure. I think it's just... Um, I, I believe the story goes there uh, that just... You know, he had gone into the Duke's hotel while he was on assignment, I'm assuming in London, 
And uh, yeah, he asked the bartender, can I get a martini very cold and very dry? And um, mm-hmm. he keeps asking, you know, and that bartender is calibrating. He, you know, he keeps saying, you know, it's not cold enough. All right, now it's cold enough, but it's not dry enough. It's over diluted. So this gets to the point where we have, you know, gin being kept in the freezer and and just the rinse of vermouth in the glass, that famous martini that, you know, people kind of make a pilgrimage for. And um, I believe, yeah, the story goes that he had sent a fax back to his office, back to the newspaper. And um, yeah. in it, there's just a throwaway line where he said, he was talking about his time at Dukes and he said, by the way, there's an Italian bartender who makes the best martini in England. And that is how that Duke becomes synonymous with that drink and, and that version of the martini. It's, um, it's kind of crazy. I think the headline, the newspaper ended up kind of using that as the headline and focusing on it for whatever reason. So I don't know. I mean, yeah. one, the one person can have, uh, obviously there are many multiple figures involved, but like just that one person can have something of an impact on, on cocktail culture is pretty, pretty spectacular. Absolutely. And I think that if you have success in doing, you know, one thing, then you have the credibility to do something like what you just said. So, oh, well, you know, he delivered this great thing and yeah. he was right about that. So we're going to believe him about this one. <laughs> yeah, the guy's got a good track record. Yeah, it won't take 10 years this time um, <laughs> or whoever. So, you know, and like, I mean, from the the rise of popularity for the Irish coffee, you know, Joe himself became even more kind of a celebrity traveling around. And well, it was originally created with um, Powers or Jameson because those were like pot still Irish whiskeys back then. And that would be what the elite would drink um, when they were still pot still whiskeys, not the blends that we know today, mm-hmm. um, which are still great. But um, so they were made with a kind of a more robust style of Irish whiskey. Um, Telemar do is what they use at the Buena Vista now, but at the time that wouldn't have been the original mm-hmm. whiskey of choice for that particular cocktail. Um, the elite were drinking John Jameson and John Powers. Um, obviously in the seventies, things changed with mm-hmm. all that and blended out. He became a thing, but that's a whole other podcast. Um, <laughs> yeah, so, it's definitely. Uh, yeah. But, um, I mean that I think in a nutshell gives you an idea of kind of how one like how a drink like this it just it yeah it's great it kind of happens overnight but it kind of doesn't and mm-hmm. it, there's not really one exact answer it could be that all of these things happened it could be that none of them happened it could be that one of them happened but you kind of know that it is these three people you know Brendan O'Regan um Stan Delafane and Joe Sheridan that really were the three people that helped bring rise to this cocktail mm-hmm. and um you know you know what it got you know it was famous it, it was made famous in america um and now it's everywhere um but it really but it started in in, in ireland and you yeah know, now it is you can find even at, at pubs which aren't known to do cocktails but if you are now we can go to a pub almost any pub and get an irish coffee um it might not take as quickly as it would in a place that is equipped to make them on the go on the fly, but, um, you'll still get a great, great drink. Whereas, you know, even 15, 20 years ago, you could forget about it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it wasn't going to happen. <laughs> I think that's a wonderful overview of history there. Uh, just, you know, like, uh, you know, that you mentioned 
alcohol and coffee have existed as separate ingredients and maybe weren't brought together, but actually they've been mixed together for much longer than just the history of this cocktail and just this preparation. So I think that's a great overview there and then how that drink spreads afterwards. As we mentioned at the top, you know, this more recently, this is a drink that has very close ties to, you know, your own time working at the Dead Rabbit. And, you know, this is one that you've spent a lot of time, I would imagine, working on, mixing, serving. So fast forwarding just a little bit to your own career here now. Uh, obviously, we mentioned at the top that this is one that you have significant experience with during your career. So can you tell us about that now? Absolutely. So, um, you know, I will say that before I started working um, at a bar focused on Irish whiskey, the Dead Rabbit, um, I was not somebody that was a big fan of serving hot drinks in bars because it was, I think a lot of us can say it's very annoying and it's <laughs> tedious and it's a lot of work, especially if you're working in a high volume bar. Um, you don't have a coffee machine behind the bar. You don't have a barista on hand. You know, there's so many factors that make it really, really inconvenient to make hot drinks during service. Um, and so I always, when I was working at their places and had some kind of control over the cocktail menus, it was not something I wanted at the bars. Um, you know, have a kettle on the back bar to have people wanting to reheat their drinks because they got cold. Like, obviously, it's going to happen, especially in New York City. So it just was like always and it was just a disaster, in my opinion. And it wasn't until I started working at the Dead Rabbit in 2014 that I had never really been there before. I'd been there once, like in the pub, but I never really sat down and had drinks before I started working there. Um, oddly enough, but it was, uh, yeah, I was actually really, really impressed with the way that they were serving hot drinks. And it was that they were using a sous vide that Ooh. they had, they held a water bath at a particular temperature. And then they had the Irish coffee in that. And, you know, it was great. And we, we definitely have improved on, you know, they have improved on that whole process over time. Um, some things it was, you know, myself, but uh, it was actually Jack, uh, one of the the co-founders and owners of uh, Dead Rabbit, um, now the only managing partner. But mm -hmm. he, um, it was his idea to kind of maybe, you know, it was his idea to um, use the sous vides. And it's very smart because if you're, you know, if you think about brewing a pot of coffee and just having it on the burner, you know, you've been to a, probably a diner or something and you walk in, it just smells like burnt stale coffee. Ah, it's the That's worst. the last thing you want you know, especially in a drink that only has four ingredients, like they all need to be done really well. And I think that's why it's so easy to make a bad Irish coffee, because if one of the ingredients or the proportions of an ingredient are off, then the whole thing is kind of screwed. Um, and so to maintain the Irish coffee at a very hot temperature um, consistently um, is a hard thing to do. And the water bath is really the only way to do it. So, you know, you get these um, um, plastic containers. Obviously, they have to be, you know, a certain, like, grade so that they can withstand the heat and they're safe to, you know, for consumption and FDA approved and all that good stuff. Um, and you, we basically would do, we get the coffee itself. We do a drip coffee, you know, none of that um, French press or anything like that because that tends to produce 
cloudy coffee and it's just not appealing to the eye. So Ooh. we use like kind of more of an American style um, drip coffee. And that way you can really regulate when you have pre-weighed out bags of coffee that we would buy already ground, but they would be freshly ground. And we would order those like every week or every two weeks, whatever we needed. Um, and we could also buy beans to sell to people so that it was more fresh for them at home. Um, but you know, you would, you would have it already pre-weighed out and it would be, you know, a certain amount of ounces of coffee by weight to milliliters of water would produce X amount of, of coffee. And you would basically brew big batches and it would be a certain ratio. So it would be 10 liters of coffee would be two liters. So it'd be a five to one ratio of coffee to rich demerara sugar syrup. Um, so I would typically do like 10 liters of coffee and then add two liters of rich demerara sugar syrup that's pre-made. And you'd basically mix that and stir it really, really well and then bottle that so that it's evenly distributed sugar throughout the coffee and that it's already completely dissolved and integrated that you keep that in the bottle that's submerged in the water bath. And you then have a certain rotation system. So when you, you know, when you finish one bottle that you, you know, move one of those bottles up and then replace it with a colder bottle that will eventually get hot. So you have kind of a system that you put in place in your bar. Um, but that was really, you know, that was not my idea, but I was really blown away by it. Um, and then actually, um, Ann Fusco, who's uh, one of the other co-founders, co uh, wives, uh, Sean Muldoon, his wife, Ann Fusco, she came up with the idea to do the protein shakers to make the cream. Um, now, this was also a genius to me because, you know, one of the issues with making cream behind the bar on the fly is that it takes forever and it's really slippery and slimy. And if it, when you get cream or something that it, into your ice well or all over your hands, it tends to just be a complete disaster. So this was a great way to make a very make it very tidy and efficient to keep cream in service and not have to make it for every single, every single order. Um, you would basically pre whip everything in these protein shakers with that little spring ball in the middle. And then if, if you hadn't have used it in a, in a while that you could just kind of re whip it a little bit till it gets back to the consistency desired. And then you could just top up and you don't need a spoon um, to, you know, pour the, the cream over, um, you really just need to make sure that it is whipped to the proper consistency. Yeah. Those two innovations and those, those two systems really opened my eyes to being like, wow, now I, I'm like, why the, why did I think of this? Like, it was like <laughs> one of those aha moments and you're like, this is so logical, you know? And so, um, it's just, it was really great to be able to like, wow, we can do this so fast. I mean, basically we can, we could pour a pint of Guinness and in the same amount of time pour, I think like 15 Irish coffees at the same, the same time it takes to pull one pint of Guinness. Mm -hmm. So very, very fast, you know, and then we had, um, the other key for the great Irish coffee is the size of the glass, you know, making sure that the size of your glass goes with your spe specifications of, of ingredients. So, you know, ours is an like, so for instance, like, um, if you have a, if you're using an ounce of coffee, a certain amount of sugar, a certain amount of coffee, a certain amount of cream, and you have a six ounce glass, and that's what your recipe is for. 
Now, if you then get a seven ounce glass or an eight ounce glass, now you're you keep it and you just top up with coffee, it's just going to be terrible. Mm-hmm. And so it's it's important glassware is the right size to fit your recipe. And if you have bigger glassware or smaller glassware, that you do the math to figure out how to to modify it. So your so your proportions um, then, are staying the same there. Right. So like, you know, you don't want to look at a recipe and then just top up the glass with coffee and have it be three ounces larger glass than what the recipe calls for, because then it's just going to taste like coffee. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a very fine line of using too much booze and too much coffee and too much sugar. Um, and, you know, the other thing with the Irish coffee is that, you know, it's, if it's not too sweet, it's not good. If it's too sweet, it's not undrinkable. And then if it's not hot enough, it's not good. And if, you know, and then your cream has to be cold. So it's that hot versus cold. And it's that balance of sweet and coffee and that touch of Irish whiskey in the background. Mm-hmm. That's kind of like that perfect combination. And in um, terms of, in terms of that serving temperature there, just real quick. So, um, I'm assuming that, you know, say where you would chill down other glassware while you're making drinks, uh, you know, tradition cold cocktails, you're keeping this one warm, maybe using warm water. But what do you think of the serving temperature for this? Is this like, should this be the equivalent of me maybe just getting a coffee from Starbucks? Like, should it be as hot as that? Or is it maybe a little cooler than that? Where, where do you think the ideal mark is for that? Um, I'd actually say hotter because if you think about it, you know, because, you know, um, at a high volume bar, you're going to be making maybe 200 of these a day, maybe more, um, especially in the winter months. Um, so you don't have time to, um, temper your glass to get it warm, like hot. If you're at home and you have boil water on the stove and like get them heated while you're preparing other ingredients. Great. But because when you're when you're doing the high volume and you have everything in a hot water bath and you basically want to make it hotter yeah. then you would want it actually to be consumed. Because by the time you pour it into the glass, it, you know, releases a lot of the heat and then you put the cold cream on top and then it gets to the guests. By then it's actually drinkable. But if if you were to just drink it out of the bottle, it'd be too hot. Got um, it. But we uh, I would suggest. I would suggest holding the water bath at 176 degrees Fahrenheit. Uh, I think it's about 86 degrees Celsius, um, which is very, it seems very hot. Um, it's not boiling point by any means, but it is, it is very hot. Um, and that seems to be where it's like, it's, it's when you hold the drink, it's, it's lovely and hot and warm on your hands. Um, and when you take that first sip, it's that, that distinction between that, cold cream and the the hot coffee coming through that cream that gives that really great sensation. Um, so, you know, obviously now sous vides are becoming more common. You know, I have a sous vide at my house cause well, I'm a, I'm a geek, but yeah, <laughs> um, I too, you know, you, you know, I can do that very easily. Um, but you know, if you have a sous vide, great that you can get all this prepped and kind of put it in the corner of the kitchen and, and then just have that ready for your after dinner drinks or, you know, the, the last cocktail you serve at a party or whatever it may be. Um, in the bar, you know, you, you want to get a bigger water bath container and a sous vide that can hold a, whatever liters that you 
you know, of water that you, that hold that fit in that container. Um, you know, so it, it definitely invest in a, in a good sous vide that can like heat, you know, eight liters of water or whatever it may be. Mm-hmm. Um, so really, you know, my experience with the cocktail over the course of my career is that I was very blown away by the systems that were already in place. And I was very happy over the improvements that was were made over the years. Um, that is where they are today, at least to my knowledge. Um, and, you know, at the time when I started at Dead Rabbit, they, you know, there was different recipes for each floor. So like the pub had used a lighter style whiskey, um, like a blended Irish whiskey, whereas the the parlor, which is known for the, being the cocktail bar, used a more robust um, pot still Irish whiskey. Mm-hmm. Um, that was really confusing. And at the end of the day, we just wanted to, everything to be uniform and be like, this is the Dead Rabbit Irish Coffee. And that's where we, you know, we partnered with Bushmills and we, we created a, a recipe based on that whiskey um, and that's the way it's been ever since. And it's, it's, it's delicious. And it's just, it's very easy. Everybody in the whole building that works front of the house can make one. Um, you know, it's something that the servers are trained to make, the barbacks are trained to make, and it's kind of foolproof. Yeah. Um, you have the glass that is the same. It's a, it's a, it's a six ounce bespoke glass, you know, custom made for the bar you pour an ounce of the whiskey, you top it up with the mixture that's already pre pre-measured and then you leave a you know a fingers worth of space on the top of the glass for about an ounce of whipped cream. Um and you know optional to put some nutmeg on there, um obviously freshly dusted and that's that's a wrap. Again, you can make tons of these so super fast. Um but you know, I find that over the why I brought up the original recipes when I started was that you know, those robust whiskeys just were too much. I believe that a blended whiskey is much better suited for an Irish whiskey because it doesn't dominate the other components. Um, I think that, you know, obviously you can use whatever Irish whiskey that you want, just make sure it's Irish. Um, but using a pot still or a single malt, A, it's like they're expensive whiskeys to be putting into a drink that you're going to probably knock back in a few minutes. Yeah. Um, but it's just necessary you know like if you're gonna indulge on in buying you know a 80 dollar bottle of whiskey you know that save that for sipping you know <laughs> you know when you're you know but you know spend the 30 dollars or 40 dollars on a on a liter of of a blended irish whiskey and have that for your irish whiskeys or your highballs and things like that so and what about um, the texture there I, of, of something like a pot still does that and because you know maybe there are some some more affordable examples of pot still on the market, but you know that full bodied nature of it, like you you mentioned, it could possibly overpower. Um, does texture come into it too, or is it really more the the concentration of flavor and stuff? Um, no, that's a good question, um, Tim. Basically, the um, the texture is something that that will affect the overall um, recipe because. Pot still has a very um, linseedy kind of robust texture to it. And because you're already using a good amount of sugar and you have the fat from the cream, having that kind of like really heavy whiskey just is, it's just makes it off balance. So again, that's why a lighter, like a lighter style whiskey, such as a blend, now the blend could contain pot still Irish whiskey, right. but you'd want basically a, a, a higher grain content 
blend for your Irish whiskeys. And, you know, something that has a bit of a sherry influence or, you know, uh, like whether it be PX or, or Oloroso sherry, which is very common, you know, those kind of like dried fruits, nuttiness, flavors that come from sherry, um, the sherry influence into Irish whiskey is great pairing for coffee. So, nice. you know, don't be scared to kind of try things um, with different um, mash bills or different blends. So, um, you know, you can get creative with it. What's the sweet spot for you just in terms of generally for ABV for that whiskey? Um, I think sticking in around 40%, you know, having something that's like super high proof, which Irish whiskey is not typically known for anyways. No. Um, so I would stick around with 40%, which is your, which is typically what, um, your blends are going to be at anyways. When you get into pot stills, you're then kind of hitting things that are on the more like 45, 46%. And I think that's a little too high for this type of drink. Um, Interesting. It's also kind of, you can, you can, put this on a menu and because it has less alcohol and you're using typically a blend, you know, you can actually make this more affordable for guests because they're going to be drinking it quickly. Um, it's, it's six ounces, it's coffee, it's crushable. Um, you know, you can have three or four of these at a visit to the bar and not be, you know, completely wasty face at the end of your time. Like it's, it's a very easy to drink cocktail that you could have one or two in the middle of the day and not feel Mm -hmm. drunk. You know, you, (laughs) You can have a few at night and not feel um, intoxicated. So it's just at least most people that drink relatively often. But, you know, it's just, um, you know, I think the other thing that is important when making this drink is the type of sugar that you're using um, and the execution of the cream. That's, I think, the biggest, those are the biggest problems that people seem to have, especially making it home. Yeah. Um, you want to use a demo rare sugar syrup. So it is a, um, a coarsely ground, uh, turbinado basically styled. It's a darker style of, of sugar and it has its own flavor complexity to it. And that it's like going to be like very dark Brown in color. You're going to be making it two parts sugar to one part water and bringing that to a rolling boil. So once it starts to kind of bubble up really fast, you want to take it off the heat and let it cool. Um, and therefore it doesn't like crystallize. Um, and it's very nice and clear and like glass. Um, and then once that, you know, then you can add that to your hot coffee, um, and you can keep it in the fridge uh, for weeks. It will last because it's a high sugar content. Um, but that alone gives a flavor to the drink, um, that if you just use a regular simple syrup, it just simply wouldn't be as good. Mm -hmm. Of course, if that's all you have and that's your only sweetener is just regular sugar, like sugar, simple syrup, like white caster sugar or whatever, you know, that's what you have. But if you can get your hands on Demerara sugar, like loose sugar, not the cubes, um, if you can get the loose sugar, then and try and get that. It's a little more expensive, but if you don't use it all, you can use it for making old fashions and um, it will keep in your fridge for like two or three weeks. Nice. Um, and then the cream? And then the cream, the cream, you want to make sure that the fat content is between 35 and 38% fat content. Um, the fresher the cream, the better. If you have a local, like a local farm, you can buy it from, um, then do that. Uh, cow's milk, um, other milks don't tend to work as good. So, um, you know, there are coconut creams and things that you can mess around with, but because that it needs to be a certain fat content, so it actually sits and floats. That's why they had so much trouble in San Francisco to recreate the Irish coffee is because they didn't understand that. And so ah. they weren't getting it to float. 
fat content of the cream, um, or maybe they were using the wrong type of, of, of cream. So it's, it's important that the fat content is there. Um, and then when you're whipping it, you, you can either use it in, if you're at home and you're doing like a handheld, um, you know, you're whisking it. it, whisking it is hard on the wrist. Like I'm not going to lie. Um, it will take you a while, but you'll get there. You can get like basically a metal pitcher or metal bowl and basically place it on top of like a, you know, ice and put the cream in there and whisk it until it, it basically starts to peak. Um, you, you want to get it to a point where it's not quite peaking exactly, but all the bubbles are gone. So the, it basically should look very smooth and all the bubbles will have dissipated, but it won't be peaking quite yet. It's like just before you get to the point where it's going to be able to stand up, Got um, it. but it's still pourable. So when you're, when it's in, it comes with practice that you kind of can feel it in the shaker, um, that you can kind of feel how heavy it is. Um, or like the way that's moving in the shaker. But basically, if you take a look, if you open up the 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 valve, um, you can look inside and see if there's still bubbles. If there is, then you need to keep going. Um, but you don't want it to be, you know, you don't want it to start to stiffen so that you have to use a spoon. If that gets the case, you just have to add more cream, incorporate that in, and hopefully it's brought it back down to a pourable consistency. Got it. Um, and, and you never want to go too far. Yeah. I mean, if you do, then you're going to have, it's not going to be that beautiful, clean, like Guinness looking thing that you want. It's going to have kind of like dollops of cream on the top and it's going to start to bleed in because it, the, you know, you're going to basically agitate the cream and it's mm -hmm. going to fall down so to, to get it to that pour, you want it pourable. Um, and it will kind of, you know, kind of, you can shake out, like just like tap on the, on the counter there to kind of get all those little bubbles out at the end and, and pour it over. Um, and you know, if you let it sit for a while, like you pre-whip your cream and you put it back in the fridge until you need it. Um, typically if it's been sitting there for a while, you're going to want to have to kind of just roll it a little bit to get it, um, you know, back to be in the consistency that you're desiring because it does, it will start to kind of dissipate again. It will start to separate. So you want to just kind of lightly toss that to make sure you don't kind of get just a dollop of like, um, unwhipped cream that just flops down into your drink. Cause it happens all the time. So that's the mm -hmm. trickiest part is the cream. And that does take some time. So, you know, if you want to do it in a bowl that you can see and just get to understand how it works before you start putting it into that closed vessel, like a, a protein shaker, once you understand what I'm talking about, it becomes very easy. That's a real great hack there. That one, or a real great tip for, especially, yeah, for, for sure. And, and definitely for, just in terms of service and things like that, having it already in a container, right? Versus, you know, a mixing bowl or whatever, you know, you're just not going to want that in a bar during a busy service. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So, you know, all these little systems um, add up to make it very, very easy in a bar setting to do. Um, and if you're doing a dinner party um, and you want to serve these at one at a point in your, in your, guest experience then like you know you can't just like you prepare the meal and anything else this would be a part of that you get it ready beforehand and keep it at temp and it's really easy to just pour the whiskey into your glasses top up with the the, the sugar and coffee mixture and then top off with your already pre-whipped cream super easy fantastic yeah and again like just make sure that you taste it ahead of time that you know your the the, the drink specifications that you're using fit the particular glass um, the recipe that, um, 
is in the book um, when whiskey minutes match and the recipe that the dead rabbit uses um, that all is specified for a six ounce glass. Um, so just make sure if you're using someone else's recipe that you're making sure you modify it to the size of the glass you're using. But yeah, typically a stemmed, elegant looking glass with a handle, if you can or not, it's fine. Mm -hmm. um, but either way, you know, you want part of the, the joy of the, of the drink is holding it and getting warmed up. So it doesn't have to have a handle on it, mm -hmm. um, but a lot of Irish glasses too, and that's okay. So either way, just having it stemmed and um, so that way, you know, it's just a little prettier. Nice. And that yeah. being clear as well, clear glass, just so you can really, you know, you put all the effort into making this lovely aerated cream that will sit on top of it. And, you know, you're using your drip coffee there, so it's not cloudy. I mean, you're putting all this effort into the presentation too, that you want to showcase that, right? With it being a glass is what I'm saying there. I think that if you're like in a setting where you can, you know, sit down in a, you know, in a bar, in a home, I think a glass is the way to go because it's just transferring that heat to your, your hands a lot easier. You know, if you're on the go and you're going, like, say you're going to, you know, watch the parade or going to a, you know, a sporting event outside or something like that. And you want to bring like something with you or like, you know, in, in New York, when you had the option of like to go drinks and stuff, that's a fun thing. But I think if you're sitting somewhere like that, you can like in, sit and enjoy the drink that visually it's much more appealing and, I think we all can agree that, you know, your the sense of of a vision is is a part of the appeal of the, the cocktail. So um, having it look as good as it tastes, and why do we kind of why do our why do our mouths water water when we see a fancy you know pink drink like or a beautiful garnished tiki cocktail walk by? You know, it's just kind of like ooh, like I want that. Mm -hmm. It's the same kind of trigger goes when you see an Irish coffee pass you at a table and you're like ooh, I want that. Um, so Wonderful. I think that that's visually important. That's incredible. Um, yeah, no, an incredible overview there of every single aspect of this cocktail from the history, ingredients, preparation. Just wondering here, before we move into our final part of today's episode, do you have any final thoughts yourself on the Irish coffee? Um... I don't know. I guess now it's 1230 here. I guess it's actually probably time for one. <laughs> My other thing I'd say about an Irish coffee, it's like the one drink other than like a Bloody Mary, maybe that's like you can feel okay about drinking one in the day. <laughs> it's perfectly appropriate. Yeah. Um, but no, um, no, it's, it's a list. I, I never thought in a million years that I'd be serving hot drinks uh, 10 years ago in my career. And it's now been a huge part of um, the drinks that I, I create. And um, it's fantastic. Yeah. I mean, just, you know, hearing you talk about this, you're treating this like a bona fide cocktail, like the bona fide cocktail that it is rather than just, you know, some a spiked cup of joe. This is, uh, you know, this is a real yeah. dialed in cocktail that you've given us here today. So thank you for that. Of course. And I guess, um, sorry, I probably should have said it. I think that the Irish coffee has been very, has been made famous on its own, but I think that using the Irish coffee um, as a vehicle to promote Irish whiskey in general has been really, really amazing to watch. So, um, you know, I think that the Irish coffee has been a great 
um, way to show how the versatility of Irish whiskey and also um, use it as a as a vehicle to introduce people to Irish whiskey. Um, and, you know, because people that don't like coffee, people that don't like cream, people that don't like Irish whiskey, they can actually have one of these drinks and like it. It's, it's hilarious actually. Like, Oh, I don't, I don't drink dairy. I don't drink coffee and I don't like whiskey. And like, you give them an Irish coffee and they're like, this is fantastic. I'm like, I know. <laughs> it's, it's so crazy. It's a great, um, barrier breaker to, um, uh, to use, to introduce people to Irish coffee, Irish whiskey, um, coffee drinks in general. Um, so it has a huge uh, influence on the rise of, of Irish whiskey in general. So thank you, Irish coffee. <laughs> <laughs> and thank you, Irish whiskey for persisting too, because it really, really is one of the yes. one of the best categories out there. We're big fans here at Vine Pair and um, yeah, it's come up a little bit on the show before, but yeah, always excited to see what's going on over there. Absolutely. Couldn't agree more. Well, Gillian, let's do it. Let's head into the final section of the show here where we get to know you a little bit more as a drinker and a bartender. And I'm going to kick it off with question number one here. What style or category of spirit enjoys the most real estate behind your back bar, typically? Typically. Um, I think whiskey in general has already has always been my spirit of choice. Um, even before I got into... Irish whiskey as in depth as I am now. Um, it's always kind of been whiskey in general. So always had a love of, of, of American whiskeys, um, Scotch whiskeys, and and then Irish whiskeys. But now I don't have a bar uh, that has a back bar at this moment. But um, if you look in my home collection, it's, I'd say 70% whiskey. Nice. In general. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's a good one. It's a cheap one, that answer, because... Yeah. So yeah. many. Um, absolutely. I mean, it, whiskey is just as a as a as a larger scope of a, of a um, category is just endless and endless and endless. But um, yeah, I mean, if I second to whiskey, um, generally would be um, brandy. Generally, and Ooh. more specifically, um, Calvados and fruit like aged fruit brandies, even unaged fruit brandies. I'm like I'm like crazy for them. So. Nice. You're in fine company there. A lot of our guests do profess that, you know, a, a love of maybe eau de vie and aged, you know, brandy is just so good. Definitely yeah. worth exploring. Yes, for sure. Absolutely. My, my love. Yes. <laughs> Question number two, <laughs> which ingredient or tool do you believe to be the most undervalued in a bartender's arsenal? Ooh, that's a tough one because, um, I guess this could be, it could be a few things actually. So it's hard to like say one thing it really depends on like where you are in your career or like what you're referring to. Um, you know, as far as like a home bartender, I think like a hand juicer because everybody forgets that they like need some way to like make their fresh juices at home. Mm -hmm. And they don't like, I don't know many people other than myself um, and my, a couple of friends that have like a sun-kissed citrus juicer in their apartment like mm -hmm. i do you know <laughs> it's like not normal um so that for like a home bartender i think for an, a, a growing bartender like a you know you're starting out um or any bartender i think your notebook um you know is is a huge part of what you're doing um it's it's a way for you to document your um 
your growth, um, your ideas. Um, anytime you think you're going to remember something like, Oh, I made this great thing during my shift. And like, I'm totally going to remember it. No, you're not. You're no. not <laughs> <laughs> so, right. Right. There's so many times where I'm like, Oh, this is a great drink. I'll never forget it. And then you're like two weeks later, somebody asked for the recipe because you didn't write it down and you're like, Ooh, wait, I totally don't remember. Oh. <laughs> so, <laughs> it's a great tip. Yeah. And maybe yeah. just throw one more in the hat there too, I guess. Like if, if your bar does specialize in, in Irish coffees, then protein shaker, great one. Protein shaker. Yeah, definitely. If, you, if you're doing anything with whipped cream, protein shakers. And um, as far as like, you know, if you're making um, behind the, behind like the scenes in your backup house, um, getting a water bath, like sous vide situation is going to, you know, you can kind of make a lot more syrups at a lot, you know, at the same time, you know, you'll need a vacuum sealer as well, but, um, being able to like put a bunch of syrups together and back seal them and throw them into the sous vide and just have your timer set for whatever, for each one, like it, you can just get a lot more done. It's just much more efficient than putting every, everything over direct heat and you're just getting oh, better, smart. better. Yeah. So those are my like four things, <laughs> I would say. We'll allow it. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Question number three. What's the most important piece of advice you've received while working in this industry? Oh, God. <laughs> um, well, um, what's the most important piece of advice? Let's, I mean, there's so many because, you know, I've had many... Um, <laughs> You know, I've gone through some some rough times, some great times, um, you know, many challenges. I think um, staying true to yourself and um, like surrounding yourself with people that like with good people. Um, when you feel like something is toxic or it doesn't feel right, and you're probably right about it. Mm -hmm. um, and um, you know it's very easy to get yourself out of that. It's, it's easier than you think to get out of that situation. Um, yeah. Staying true to yourself in a nutshell um, and taking care of yourself. I think there's been way too long, especially in at least the generation and the generation before me of bartenders that just basically like just ruin yourselves over overworking and burning the candle at both ends. And mm -hmm. I think that it's only a recipe for disaster. So um you know, self-care and self-awareness and, you know, are, are really big because in the end you're, you're never going to be able to sustain it and, you know, give a hundred percent and your best self if you're in a bad place personally. So that's nice. Nice advice. Number one, so, yeah. Fantastic. Question number four for you. If you could only visit one last bar in your life, what would it be? Oh man, what's so hard? Um, if I could be at one last bar in my life, it would be probably my favorite bar on the planet, um, Basic in Brooklyn. Um, it's where all my friends hang out. Um, it's where it's a neighborhood bar in Williamsburg, Brooklyn. Um, my friend Jay Zimmerman and his business partner Derek own it, and it's just a place where even if you don't know what to do with yourself or you want to just see a friendly face you just go there by yourself and you're always run into 
a friend and you always feel comfortable and welcome. And it's just, it's, it's the best. It's, it's where a lot of bartenders are industry, no matter where they are in the world, it's like somewhere where everybody goes and it's brought um, our industry and together. And it is a staple for, for my group of friends to, to go to. So yeah, basic in Brooklyn. (laughs) (laughs) Great pick there. And final question for you here today. If you knew that the next cocktail you drank was going to be your last, what would you order or make? Oh man, I guess, I don't know if it would be a cocktail to be honest. It'd be like, it'd be like a really, really, really nice um, glass of like a pot still Irish whiskey or like a crazy, crazy like cognac or Calvados that's like ridiculously expensive. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, it was going to be, or like some really crazy champagne or something. But if, if it was a cocktail, I guess it would, I don't know. For some reason I, I just, I would probably order like a really, really perfect martini. Mm. I don't know about it. It's like, I love going to like a hotel bar or like going to a really nice dinner and starting it off with a martini. And it's just like, it really gets the job done. <laughs> <laughs> and when, it, when, it's, when it's made the way that I like it and it's just like that perfectly cold, you know, and maybe I even let's go as far to say instead of just a martini, it would be like um, a Gibson, like maybe an in-house like pickled onion. Yeah. And a beautifully cold, um, you know, well-balanced martini and a beautiful glass, a little bit of lemon oil over the top. I'm like a happy. I'd be I'd go out pretty happy. That way. <laughs> <laughs> it's exactly what I think, too. Simply the best. You can't beat it. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Jillian, thank you so much. Sorry. Thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, This has been wonderful and just so much good advice in there, especially if folks are listening to this when it comes out and they're maybe uh, on the East Coast or somewhere at least where it gets cold. Um, Perfect. We have the perfect solution here for them with your Irish coffee. Absolutely. And um, yeah. I cannot wait to uh, now make one. Yeah, um, very soon. <laughs> definitely <laughs> time for definitely time for one. All right then, thank yeah. you very much. Thanks for having me, Tim, and thank you everybody for listening. I really appreciate it. Okay, that was a lot of info, but here's the good news: every single episode of Vinepair's Cocktail College is also published on Vinepair.com as a transcript, so you can check it out there all over again. Also. If you enjoy listening to the show anywhere near as much as we enjoy making it, go ahead and hit subscribe and please leave a rating or review wherever you get your podcasts, whether that's Apple, Spotify, or Stitcher. And please tell your friends. Now for the credits. Cocktail College is recorded and produced in New York City by myself and Keith Beavers, Vinepair's tastings director and all-round podcast guru. Of course, I want to give a huge shout out to everyone on the Vinepair team. Too many awesome people to mention. They know who they are. But I want to give some credit here to Danielle Grinberg, art director at Vinepair, for designing the awesome show logo. And listen to that music. That's a Darby Seaside original. Finally, thank you, listener, for making it this far. 
and for giving this whole thing a purpose. Until next time. <laughs>